Hi, I'm Jen. And I'm Jen. Welcome to Marginalia Pod. Where we treat reading as a sacred practice and find meaning and connections through our favourite books. I would like to begin by acknowledging the Gurungai and Darug people, traditional custodians of the land where I am recording today, and pay my respects to their elders past and present. I'd also like to acknowledge Manafenua of Te Awa Kairangi Kitai, where I'm recording today. Yay. I know, so exciting. Are you still in your... It's the bedroom, right? Not the not the pod room. Yeah, just in my bedroom until we put up the shelves and get all the book boxes because I've got like nine boxes of books that are currently in what will be the podcasting room. So therefore we are in my bedroom until we sort that out. <laughs> That's great. I record in my bedroom, so it's perfect, really. It's nice and intimate. Welcome to my bedroom. <laughs> <laughs> the bedroom pod. Yeah, and you get your, your own pillows and stuff, which is nice and cozy. That's the other thing I like about it. Yeah, just trying to pad it out. Um, hey, how's your week? How, what sparked joy for you this week? Well, I had a very exciting moment this week. My daughter, who was mm. 11, she got her ears pierced. Um, so we Aww. drove into the city together and I took her to like an actual piercing studio, which is also, you know, tattoos and laser tattoo removal because that's the, all these places are all in the same they're all the same place, basically. Uh, but I wanted to get it done properly. I didn't want to go to, like, an accessory shop and get the, the gun because it's really painful and it's a really loud noise and it's not that nice. But if you go to, like, a proper piercing mm. shop, I've had a piercing done with a needle as well and it's really lovely. So we went to this beautiful little piercing shop and she got her ears pierced and she was such a trooper. She didn't cry. She barely even flinched. She picked a beautiful mm. purple opal and titanium pair of earrings and she just looks so grown up and... I mean, she was like, I can do this. I can do the aftercare. I can do, like, I will take care of it myself. Mom, you don't even have to worry about it. And I was just so proud of her. But also, like, feeling some kind of way about the fact that she's old enough to, like, choose to get a piercing, you know? Mm. I did say, please wait until you're 16 to do double holes because I feel like that's enough time to sort of get used to whether or not you're going to wear them all the time or not. You know how when you're young, you think you're going to wear all the earrings, but then actually you don't know what kind of person you're going to grow into? Yeah, you might not be an earring person. Yeah, Who knows? or she might want to do lots of contact sports, and that would make it harder. You know, So I was like, let's just think about it. We'll, we'll give it a few more you know, years. Um, but yeah, she's she looks so grown up. I can't. I just can't deal with it. Anyways, after that, we went to a bakery, Aww. got a whole bunch of lovely treats, and then came home. And I let her sit in the front seat because she's almost old enough for that, too. And I was like, let's do a proper like mom and daughter day, so... It's just really great. Adorable. Adorable. How about you? What sparked joy for you this week? I actually hadn't even thought about that before recording, so <laughs> I don't know what sparked joy for me this week. Let me think. What sparked joy? I think I'm just happy that it's the weekend because, honestly, it is a struggle. It is a struggle street right now trying to get through the work week. Yeah. I've not been very well. Like Both me and my homie, as we're calling mm. each other. Um, have been unwell and ill and testing every day for COVID and it's not COVID but you know New Zealand's having a massive wave at the moment yeah, so we're same. all very concerned about getting it um, but everyone's also just really ill so yeah we've been sick been homesick it's not been fun it's summer you know so you don't want to be at home yeah. sick yeah so just like getting to Friday it just feels like a momentous occasion every week it just feels harder and harder and I'm just so thankful that I only have one more week left of full week of work left and I think I'm probably going to work from home next week because I'm obviously going to Australia. Don't want to get COVID next yeah. week and then not be able to go. 
So I reckon I'll go in on Monday for all my meetings and then it's Jen out for the rest of the year. I love it. Yeah, that sparked joy. Yes, (laughs) I think that's a great way to do it. Just work from home. That way you're not having to stress and not go in and not interact with people who have germs. Well, yeah, people are just like not taking it seriously Mm. anymore, right? Because we don't have mask mandates. We don't have all these things. So there's this guy sitting behind me at work coughing up a lung for the last two days. I'm like, buddy, what are you doing? Someone behind me on the train the other day was just like coughing. And I'm like, again, I'm the only person with a mask on the train. Why are you on this train coughing? I am going to murder you. The real yeah. COVID um, fatality rates are Jen killing everybody who tries to give her COVID. One hundred percent correct. <laughs> As it should be. Honestly. Ugh, just terrible. Oh, <sighs> bark at the cat. I'm sorry if there's barking in the background. Bella is home with me, but she is not. She's just woken up from her nap and done her little wee walk, but she's not very happy to be outside of my bedroom. Oh, bless her. That's okay. We'll put photos of her in the show notes as tax for the barking, and then no one can complain. Yes, you'll all see how cute and adorable she is. I promise. She's very cute. She's very cute. Well, this week, uh, we're wrapping up the book and reading chapter 60 through the epilogue, and we've read that through the theme of courage. Uh, Do you have a story about courage for us? Yeah, so courage is an interesting one, because I think when we think of people being courageous, we think of big moments, right? People taking big steps or doing big things that, like, facing adversity. type things. Yeah, totally. And I actually had to think about quieter moments of courage, because I think these are the things we do regularly that maybe we don't even give ourselves credit for. And one thing I wanted to highlight was the courage to say no, because for me, this is a, a recent development. You know, it's something that I really had to fight through and work through in therapy, because I do have this fear of letting people down and people being disappointed in me. Yeah. And often that means that you say yes to things that you don't actually want to do, because you want them to, you know, feel like they can depend on you, or you view... You project disappointment on them. You're like, oh, if I say no to this, they're going to be really disappointed in me. So therefore, I'll have to say yes. But you're betraying yourself in that moment by doing that because you don't actually want to go. And I thought about this earlier when, just even earlier today, when my homie was like, do you want to go to the mall with me because I'm going to go buy Christmas presents? And I'm like, oh, I better go along because it's important for us to do things. And I'm like, I don't want to go to the mall. (laughs) And I just had to stop and say, actually, you know what? No. And she like, cool, went on her way, didn't even think about it. But you know, there's that moment of pause where I have to go to say yes, which is my gut instinct is to always say yes, Mm. is actually not the right thing to do. And it takes courage for me to stop and say actually I'm not going to do this thing because you don't know how someone's going to take it and that's a really micro example of it but it can be bigger it can be saying no to something at work you know being like no I'm not going to take on this project because actually I don't have the capacity Mm. but then that made me think of knowing when not to do that also takes courage yeah because you're now in this frame of mind where you're always questioning when you say yes but there are moments in life when you just have to push through and do something even when you don't want to because it's very important to another person. And I think that takes courage too. Yeah. So a couple of weeks ago, my friend had a bachelorette. She's getting married at the end of this month. I do not want to go to bachelorettes. I especially did not want to go to this bachelorette because I don't really know the people and they're very, very vastly different people. Yeah. Like if you think about it, like a lot of my friends are jocks and I am the token goth in the back. So that is the vibe <laughs> we're going with here. <laughs> Everyone is sporty and lovely and tanned and just like having a great time. And then there's me and all black in the back being like, why? I don't want to be in the sun. Please save me. (laughs) So, you know, that's the vibe. And like, I obviously said yes, because this is important to her. She's invited me. Like that means something that she's thought that I was a close enough friend to invite to this bachelorette party. Of course, I'm going to go. Like it takes courage for me to do that because it's out of my comfort zone. I'm going to have to be on the whole, like whole evening, even though I'm an introvert. But, you know, you push through and you do it because it's important to other people. And I think these little moments of courage that we exhibit 
just existing in the world is important to recognize because we think that you know mm. oh i'm not brave but you are brave i think sometimes even just getting out of bed is a brave thing to do so yeah to everyone listening i see you especially this late in the year i see you all you're doing great i appreciate you being brave yeah absolutely i was thinking about courage today my niece we were at a playground and my niece was trying to get over a little roof of a cubby that had climbing bumps on the top and she was like I can't do it I'm scared and I'm like oh no you can definitely do it and so I had to kind of talk her over I'm like just put one leg and then I saw that her dress was bunched up under and she couldn't get her leg free so I was like I'll move your dress for you so little things like sometimes you need someone there to sort of show you what to do or give you the next step but yeah when you're really scared it is hard to do stuff but you feel so much better when you do it when you're scared than if you just were confident all the time so courage can be kind of a, a good thing it can be a rallying thing it's like the best endorphin hit when you're like i did it and i was so not ready for it and often i think once you've done something you're kind of like something that took a lot of courage you look back and then you go oh that wasn't so bad and then the next time you know it doesn't require courage which i think is so interesting about courage and i think we see it in this section that we read as well it's like it's scary the first time mm. but then because you've already done it once it's no longer scary you don't yeah. need that courage anymore Thanks, Jen. That's such a beautiful story. I love the idea that even getting out of bed is courageous. Some days I definitely feel like it is the hardest thing to do. <laughs> yeah, totally. Existing yeah, in this world sure. sometimes is the most courageous thing. <laughs> just participating in life is difficult, isn't it? Oh, yeah. It's the end of the year. We all just want to hibernate. <laughs> uh, should I do chapter summaries for us? Yes, please. All right. So the Grey Men heads out of Henrietta, and in dogged pursuit are some low-rent thieves and a familiar threat. Gansey and Ronan enlist Blue's help in finding Kavinsky's 4th of July party and start the search for Matthew. Kavinsky dreams a dragon, which saps Cave's water of its power, leaving Ronan with nothing left to work with. Adam and Persephone have a moment of reckoning, and Adam makes the right connections in time to power the ley line and to provide Ronan with something equally formidable. Back in reality, Ronan finds Matthew just in time to see Kavinsky killed by his own creation. The Grey Man finally confronts his worst nightmare and, with great courage, sees it through. When it's all over, they arrive back to 300 Fox Way to find that Mora has disappeared and left a note. Glendower is underground. So am I. Hmm. Mm. So more points knocked off of Mora Sargent here for not leaving a better note. I do think there's courage in what she does, though. Like, don't you think it takes courage to make the connection, but also to follow the lead? Like, she's just like, okay, I'm on the path. I'm going to go do the thing. Yeah, I guess because we've seen her and the women of 300 Foxway as their own, like, not really as their own people. They're always this three-headed entity, right? It Mm. might be courageous of her to go off and leave them. But, like, if you haven't prepared well for it, I wonder if it's courageous or if it's foolhardy. Like, where's the difference? Yeah. Well, I mean, this is a, it's an interesting point because something I really wanted to talk about this section is what courage isn't, yeah. right? So courage is not the absence of fear. Because Kavinsky, you know, I'm tempted to say that Kavinsky is courageous in the way that he lives his life, but he's actually just not afraid. Yeah. Like, Kavinsky has given up, right? He's got nothing to lose. Mm-hmm. So that's why he acts the way he does. It's not courage. He's just simply not afraid. And those aren't the same thing. Yeah, he's but like, it feels courageous. Mm, he does have a courageous moment, which I think is really important to flag. It's it's on page four ten where you know Ronan they're in the dream space and Ronan is like trying to tell him like you you can't do this like reality is where all the other people are and you know what's in here nothing no one just us there was a heavy understanding in that statement amplified by the dream I know what you are Kavinsky had said just us. There's just us of the dream. That's what he says back to Ronan. There's just us. And and then like that's is that he's saying like let's make this our space. Let's like make this our reality. And it's a really vulnerable moment for him. 
And Ronan mm-hmm. says it's not enough. And so I think that, that his moment of courage is where he's like, but this is reality enough for me. This is what I want. Like, he's actually letting himself quite bare. And it's just hard. I think it's hard. Yeah, and also in that section, page 411, Ronan says the certainty that Kavinsky didn't let anyone tell him what, who he was. Like, he's reflecting on when he sees Kavinsky in the Mitsubishi, right? And he's seeing him through the BMW's window. Mm. And this appeal that Kavinsky had to him is because... He didn't let anyone tell him who he was. And I think that is courageous. Like, living your life on your own terms is an act of courage. Yeah. And I think that's what people, that's what attracts people to Kavinsky. There's, there's something that feels courageous about and There's something so audacious about hosting these parties for years and becoming this legend and that the authorities won't touch him, right? Like, he's willing to break the law and he's got this, his own world. There's something courageous about being able to set that up, like being able to flaunt society's conventions in that way that I think appeals to other people, like other people view it as courageous. Yeah. It's like it's authentic, maybe. Mm. And a lot of people don't have the courage to be authentic. But I also don't know if he is actually... I mean, I, I do think he's that awful, but I don't know if he's actually supposed to be that awful. The more I read the section, the more I thought about Kavinsky, the more I was like, this kid needed hugs when he was a baby and did not get enough hugs. Like, he needed so much more care and parenting and love because he's yearning for something. Like, I feel this clear want in him, but it's it's not being met. Whatever needs he has, they're not being met. And that just, like, spoke to the, like, caretaker in me where I was like, somebody let this kid down. This kid was failed. And he has become this person who only sees the dichotomy of with me or against me. And there's something really awful in that. Mm. You can't live your life in this diametrically opposed space. Like, there's no nuance. Yeah, there's this all-consuming hunger in that, right? Which is, I think, is represented in this creature that he dreams. This dragon. He's like, we're going to destroy the world, mm. right? Let's just burn it down. Um, On the same note of what isn't courageous, like... You know, Ronan's storming in there to con- confront Kavinsky. Like, he sees the car come in, he's like, he's in that car, and he just runs off. Yeah. To me, that is encouraged, because Ronan isn't actually afraid. Like, he... I think, to be courageous, you need to pause, and you need to think about what you're doing. You need to, like, have the ramifications of your actions really sink in before you take a step. And Ronan is acting on pure instinct. But I do think it's not until that he's in the dream, right? Like, following Kavinsky into the dream, I think that is courage. Yes. And also the conversation they have, I think, is is very courageous of Ronan. He's so vulnerable in that moment, right? Yeah. And he's being truthful. And being truthful is courageous. He's being truthful to himself. He's His second secret, he admits it, you know? And then in the epilogue, he actually puts a name to it, which is really beautiful. Like, it's made explicit in the end, and I really love that, that we actually get, like, I don't know, confirmation of this crush, of this set of feelings. Mm. But I also think it's really important that, not just that Ronan acknowledges that, yes, he isn't straight, because Kavinsky asks him outright, you know? Like, you didn't say that you're not. And he's like, well... I didn't say that, did I? You know, like he, he does sort of like say, yes, I'm, I am not straight. But there's this moment where Kavinsky tries to goad him by talking about Gansey and it just doesn't touch him. Mm. Like he's just, it's, it's not even something that hurts him. It can't hurt him because what he and Gansey have isn't about like a sexual relationship. It's not something that's like that kind of love. And Ronan understands that fraternal love in a way, and he's trying to explain it to to Kavinsky. But I think that that moment of vulnerability where he actually accepts that Gansey is like a brother to him is is hugely important. Yeah, I think it's a very important, very important moment Mm. of connection as well. You know, we see, I feel like a lot of this book is the connection between Ronan and Gansey. We really understand their relationship. We really see why Ronan is so tied to him. 
And I love that moment when he says, you know, that's not what Gansey is to me. And he thinks about what the br- grey man said, brothers. Yeah. And I actually just love that because you've got this connection between the Lynches as well. Like, you know, you've got Ronan connected to Matthew, connected to Aurora, yeah. Aurora connected to Matthew, but also connected to Declan. And I, I think one of the reasons that Ronan struggles with Declan is because he doesn't think that Ronan feels this, like Declan feels the same way about them as brothers. Because for, for for Ronan, that familial bond is actually unbreakable. Like yeah. this is something that he's connected to, even when he hates Declan. But he hates Declan because he doesn't think that Declan reciprocates, which is where he's wrong. Yeah. Because Declan does reciprocate. So yeah, I kind of love this idea that you know, of course, of course, Gansey is a brother, so of course it's more than that. It's deeper than that. Yeah, and I think sometimes the the brothers and sisters you choose, right? It's about mm. the, the family that you make. I've been watching a lot of like fan family type shows lately, so I'm deep in the feels of that, knowing that these boys do view themselves as brothers, Gansey and, and Ronan. And, and Adam's still outside of it all, but making those connections for everyone I thought was hugely important to the story. Yeah, straight up drops connection in the text, right? Like yeah. Adam is out there. He's the magician. The magician's job is to make connections, and Adam is very good at it. But also I just love the connection between Adam and Caveswater. Yes. The connection between Ronan and Caveswater, and then the way Caveswater connects them both to each other. Like it's such a lovely little, little triumvirate. Loop. Yeah. Yeah, can we can we touch on that a bit? I I do want to talk about Persephone walking Adam through this idea that power isn't something that lies in objects. It's not in something that he has that can be taken away. Like it's intrinsic to him. And what makes mm-hmm. him the magician is his ability to see connections and to put the pieces together. It's the first time I think that an adult who has something that matters to Adam, like he is substantive enough to Adam, has said these things to him in a way that makes him sit up and take note. Yeah. I think that takes courage to trust yourself and to lean into knowing yourself. Yeah. The fact that he, she says to him, you know, are you the magician or aren't you? Page 413. Adam closed his eyes. Connections. Like he's like, okay. I'm going to do it. I'm going to actually trust. Because at first he's very, he pushes back against that, right? He's saying, you know, Cape's water makes me that way. The line is dead and so was everything other inside him. Which, you know, gives me big Simon Slow vibes. It's kind of like, well, I've lost the thing that makes me special. So therefore I'm not special. Because there's no self-worth that holds this kid together, Mm. right? There's nothing there. But I think that takes courage. It takes courage to be willing to learn and know yourself. And, you know, it's a journey. We're all on a journey. We're all at different stages of that journey. But taking that first step is courageous. Yeah. And giving enough trust to someone else to help lead you. That's something Adam has struggled with the whole time. If Gansey had said the same thing, he would push back twice as hard. Mm -hmm. You know, it almost has to come from somebody who he's not connected to, except in this particular way, in this particular moment of need, you know? So I love that it was Persephone. Yeah. I mean, it takes courage to ask for help and it takes courage to admit that you were wrong. And that's something that Ronan does as well when he says to Cabeswater, you know, I'm sorry, I didn't know. I didn't know anything. I had to figure everything out myself. Please, I can't do it without you. Page 416. Yeah. That's courageous, you know, and to be true to yourself. Like, I love when the orphan girl says to him, you know, it's only you. Why are you afraid of yourself? Why do you hate yourself? Why do you hate you? She says to him about the night horror, right? And he thinks about it and he goes, I don't. And that is courage in action. Like, that is Ronan Lynch being amazing. I just, chef's kiss. Love her. Love her. And it's a beautiful moment of connection between himself and his past and his future too because he's saying all of these things that make me me all of these things that I inherited or have to deal with from family for whatever reason like I don't hate it like of course he doesn't Mm. these are gifts that he was given 
Yeah, and on the page before that, page 416, you know, there's that line, even though he knew he couldn't save himself, he couldn't ever seem to convince himself to stop fighting. And I just think that is just Ronan Lynch in a nutshell. Mm -hmm. Like, he is just always in the trenches, whether against himself or for things he believes in or for the people he loves. Like, he's just in there. Could never stop fighting. I love him. I love this whole section. I love it so much. I love that he goes into the dream and is vulnerable with somebody terrible and it teaches him about himself, you know? He doesn't take it and get hurt by it, but he says, no, okay, I've got to move forward with it. Like, there's so much good in this section, even for how hard it was to read. And he also gets confirmation about his own worth, I think, which is important. You know, he talks about two Grey Warrens or whatever and the orphan girl says, many thieves, one Grey Mm. Warren. Like, I think it's important for him to know that he is not like everyone else. Yeah, he's not like other girls. No, he's not. (laughs) He is the best. He is my Blorbo from my books. (laughs) I would like to talk about one of my Blorbos right now who shows exemplary courage, and that is the gray man. He's dealing with extremely extenuating circumstances. He's having to war between the fear that he's known his whole childhood, knowing that his brother is in pursuit of him, and also the fact that he wants something for the first time in a long time. He's been cutting his heart out just so he doesn't have to feel anything, so he doesn't want things, so that nothing is at risk, so he can survive in this place where he's untouched by his horrible brother. But he then realizes that there is a way out and he just has to be brave. He has Mm. to face the thing that is the worst for him. And all of this awfulness has made him, you know, all of the years that he's practiced being this this non-entity, this this gray man, has actually given him the tools that he needed to do it. But it's Mora, that vulnerability, that openness, that gives him the incentive to actually do it. Yeah, it is courage, textbook courage and action, everything about the gray man's journey, I think, in this section. Like... The fact that he, one, has to face his demons. He has the courage to face the demons from his past. He's to give them no power over him, right? He acknowledges that, yes, usually this would have power over me, but he's able to distance himself from that, to face up to it, and to stand up for what you want. Like, I think that takes courage to admit that actually I do want this thing and I am willing to do what it takes to keep it. Mm. Like, he is being, vulnerability is courageous and he's being quite vulnerable in this moment. And then, so clinical. I love that he just, like, shoots his brother twice in the head and he's just like cool done like he doesn't even engage with him he doesn't talk to him yeah just shoots him and moves on yeah exactly he doesn't rise to it or play the game he just does what needs to be done and it is fantastic and the arrogance the audacity of his brother to assume that he would still just be able to like control him that he would just be able to terrorize him like this because he always has you can't make that assumption to your detriment now you know yeah Oh, it's so good. It's such a satisfying conclusion to the whole thing. And all of the swords that he feels at that moment while he's looking at his brother, every single mm. moment seems to like be part of him. But he just goes, nope, not going to do it. And done. Just beautiful. Yeah. And I don't like talking about murdering someone as beautiful, but it is a very beautiful and cathartic moment. So like hands off again to the author for being able to turn this into like a really gratifying and cathartic piece of writing. Yeah. And I love the connection of the tarot as well. You know, I've spoken that when we read the Raven Boys, the tarot is such a nice way to connect all the pieces. Like even him just reliving the Ten of Swords and thinking about it. Adam being the magician, you know, the tarot just grounds it. And I just love that. Yeah. I was very proud of the gray man. I, it's so hard. It is hard to go back where you've been hurt and, and steel yourself against that and be able to move forward in a way like where you have that closure for yourself like it it's hard to recognize that the person that's hurt you is never going to stop hurting you and to be able to sever that relationship Mm. like if we're talking in generalities i think it's very courageous to be able to just put a stop to it 
and, and, and end that connection, to sever that connection. And we do talk a lot about connection. I mean, it is our theme across the series. But sometimes the connection is not a healthy one. Sometimes you have to let go of that connection in order to move on to be healthy. And it can be really mm. hard to do that. You have to have a lot of courage to let go of those connections. So, yeah, something to think about. Mm, definitely. I think it's interesting that you can't really be courageous if you don't know you should be afraid. Like, yeah. I thought it was... It was an interesting section how these people are at this party and they're like cheering and carrying on. Mm-hmm. And even when this magical thing is happening above them, they're kind of like, you know, not afraid because it says on four, page 420, no one was really afraid. Why weren't they afraid? It was magic, but nobody believed it was. And then two pages later, it's like a single scream erupted from the crowd. It was a sort of experimental sound trying to decide if now finally fear was the correct response. <laughs> it's kind of like... Yeah, you don't know that it takes courage to do something if you don't know that you should be afraid. Like, this happens to me quite a lot, where people go, oh, that was so brave, that was so courageous. I'm like, was it? (laughs) I didn't realise I was in danger, but okay, cool, you know? Not knowing that you have to be afraid is a whole other thing. I often wonder if it's like the Kavinsky effect is that he just kind of dulls everything because he's such a catastrophic giant of a person like his entire personality is so abrasive and awful that everyone else around him is just sort Mm. of sandpapered into feeling less i wonder also if it's not just because everyone knows that terrible things happen around them Mm. around him and genuinely you know you're fine so you already you know that thing i said about it only takes courage the first time and then it gets easier and easier it's like the same with any kind of risk-taking behavior whether it's drugs or whatever you know you take it once and then the next time it's easier you don't think about the risk because you've survived it once so every time you do it confirmation bias i've been thinking a lot about this because i read a thing the other day about how anti like safe driving campaigns don't work and it doesn't matter how many times we've done them throughout you know the decades countries have tried all sorts of things to get people to stop speeding to do this to do that they don't work. Row tolls don't go down. Like the, every country has this goal to have a zero row toll and it doesn't work. And I think it's because fundamentally driving is unhinged. We get into a vehicle that we have no business being in. It is this dangerous machine mm-hmm. that I drive myself mm-hmm. and I survive it every time. And I speed and I survive it every time. So once you've done it once, once you've survived it once, it becomes this impossible thing to think that you won't survive it again. And I think that is why they don't work, because we are just not wired to think that way. Yeah. It is the one instance where the stick works a little bit better than the carrot, doesn't it? If you put speed cameras up, people really hate getting those fines. <laughs> so, so they will actually yeah. like slow down for them. I love speed cameras. I think they're much more efficient. I'll slow down for a speed camera every time put them on every dangerous yeah. corner please but yeah to the, to your point you're absolutely right that is like the fact that we drive anywhere is just insane when you stop and think about it it's actually kind of unhinged like, like going to get into sure a i'll get into my that goes where yeah I to go. my metal box that weighs like two tons or whatever they weigh mm-hmm. and i'm gonna hurtle along this road yeah especially when i'm on the highway and i'm like yeah i'm doing 110 and then i'm like just chilling i'm like this shouldn't be a chill experience why is this a chill experience why i'm like yeah this is amazing like one hand on the wheel i'm doing 110 down the highway Mm. Mm. (laughs) but when i learned to drive the first time you get in a car it's terrifying and i think that takes courage so yet again i just think it's this thing that we wear down the more you survive the less scary it becomes oh yeah i mean i remember the first couple times driving in australia because it was all wrong side of the road wrong side of the road wrong you know you just you're in the wrong place. The gear is in the wrong place. Like you, you have to readjust which way you're looking. 
in the rear view mirror. Mm. Like, it's all just crazy. I was really terrifying because I knew how to drive and I had done tons of driving. So I was really good at driving in America. Not so good here. It is really scary. But I had to do it. My partner did not like driving. He still doesn't really like driving. So it was going to be my job. And I was like, well, I better get good at it because one of us has to. And, you know, Mm. the only way for me to get to uni at that point was a bus. And boy, did I hate that bus. So, yeah, no driving is messed up. And everything Kavinsky does is also messed up. The fact that he's murdered so many people and replaced them with dream people is super messed up. Like, he's killed his dad. He's killed his best friend. He's replaced them with dream clones. What the heck? This disturbs me greatly. Yeah. I mean, he is out of control. Like, he just Mm. dreams multiples of whatever he needs. He dreams these cars for people to race. He dreams these fireworks. He dreams these substances. He's just creating his own world because he's obviously disassociating from the real life. Like, his real life is obviously too terrible to exist in. So he's just like, I will make my own world. Which, you know, okay. (laughs) Sure. But it doesn't work if you're harming other people in that. You know what I mean? Like, he might want to make his own world, which I completely understand. But, like, go write fan fiction or something, dude. (laughs) Go make a world where you're not hurting other people by processing your garbage. Go to therapy, perhaps, may I suggest. he needs all the therapy. Maybe he could dream himself a therapist. Um, I was thinking about how it's courageous for Blue to take Rona and Guernsey to the drag strip. Mm. Because this is a part of her life that she's not actually comfortable in or interested in. You know, she's sort of apart from this world that her school mates, you know, she knows about it. She's on the periphery of it, but she doesn't want to engage in this world. Now she's taking Ronan and Guernsey and she doesn't really want to mix her school life with her Raven boys. And also she's scared of Kavinsky and still she goes... Because yeah. she needs to, right? And she says on page 406, she was torn between wanting to be recognized by someone from school and wanting not to be seen running with Agnum B boys, which I think is so funny. <laughs> like, good one, Blue. <laughs> this is you so being the lone girl in the back of the group of jocks. Yeah, and I mean, it's scary when when your worlds collide. It's a scary thing. Like, anytime I have a party and I'm like, cool, now I'm going to have my very, very different groups of friends in one situation and let's hope for the best. Mm, mm. Yeah. I guess as we get older, though, the benefit of that is that people know how to do small talk at parties now. And it's not like if you had a birthday party as a teenager where you had, like, one group of friends and then another group of friends and nobody could interact. I mean, we all have to deal with coworkers and... No, that was exactly my experience when I had my citizenship party. I had very three very distinct groups who did not talk to each other and sat separately because two of those groups are very, very introverted people. And they were like, we will just stick to the people we know. And then I had my group of very extroverted mates who sucked all the air out of the room. So, yeah. <laughs> I'm thinking of your birthday party, though, where you had us all seated at our um, our tables, our our house tables. Yes, because and that actually I very consciously did that. Yeah, that's why I did that. Because I'm like, okay, we're going to have to split them up. You have to split them up. We have to give them a task to focus on mm-hmm. so they're not focused on talking to each other. You give them a quiz. Oh, my God. You did fix the problem. You did a team building exercise. Yeah, I did. And it was fun. It was great. I enjoyed being a Ravenclaw temporarily. That was great fun. A plus would do again. For that. Can't wait for your next big birthday batch. <laughs> uh, yeah, 50 maybe. <laughs> I think that was all I had for Courage, actually. I did think the connection is really wonderful between the friend group in this section, and particularly how Blue just reads Gansey and Ronan when they turn up. Like She's like, oh, she immediately knows something is wrong. Yeah. Yeah, because he doesn't knock and then he says blue and she's like, oh, something's really wrong if he used my real name. 
Yeah, and then she says, you know, if she couldn't tell from Gansey, she would have known it from Ronan because of the way that he's behaving. But then also on page 426, she's, Ronan has that line where he says, for some reason, although he had arrived with them, he felt as if he had been alone for a very long time and now no longer was. And I just love this grounding effect they all have on each yeah. other. Yeah, I chose that as my end up, so I'll talk about it a little more. But that, that really that really snagged me this time around just hearing that and feeling that mm. feeling that relief of being like oh good the people that i care about are here like that this is these are the people i'm going to go home with yeah it's really beautiful there is a lot of amazing connection here i thought just watching adam walk through his own connections of what he's capable of was wonderful i thought ronan making the connection between who he is what he is capable of and what his job is in Caveswater, like what his vocation is there, what his calling is, like what he needs to do is so different than what he thought. It's mm. opening himself up to intuition and not hiding from himself anymore, which is really brilliant. Like he had to connect deep to himself to be able to understand that. So he wouldn't hate himself anymore because if you don't know what you are. Yeah. And I think that's really hard for him because he is, you know, he's so driven by truth and like absolutes, like he sees mm -hmm. the world really, you know, black and white. Yeah. But when you're dealing with yourself, when you're dealing with intuition, that is a gray area. Like, that is fundamentally something that is... The truth is shifting. Yeah. It moves. It's not resolute. It's not set in concrete. Target. Which is, a di like, a difficult space for him to be in. Yeah. One of the things I really loved was Ronan thinking about his connection to Gansey and what it meant. What their relationship meant, you know. And on, mm. on page 411, when he talks about it, there wasn't even a tiny part that was stung by Kavinsky's statement. When Ronan thought of Gansey, he thought of moving into Monmouth manufacturing, of nights spent in companionable insomnia, of a summer searching for a king, of Gansey asking the gray man for his life, brothers. So that connection between them is like so sustaining that he, it can't be insulted, it can't be gainsaid, it can't be used against him or weaponized in a way that matters by anyone who's trying to hurt him. Because it's just so strong. It's just so foundational for both of them. Yeah. It's irrefutable fact, right? Mm. It is just is. day Like the day is, like the night is, so is this feeling between them. Yeah. This ongoing love and respect and, and brotherhood. Yeah. Fraternity. In the best way. I just, I mean, I feel like this is the sort of thing that, these are the sort of friendships you want to have. This is the ideal, right? Someone who you know is in your corner and there isn't even room for a tiny wedge to be put in there. Yeah. Your platonic soulmate. Yeah. I did have a lot of tangential if we're... Yeah, go on, crack on. Uh, I, I, was, I was on fire with the tangential. Okay, so I love on page 406, the yacht rock got darker, deeper, filthier. If you know what yacht rock is, the idea of it getting filthy is just hilarious to me. So I would like to take the opportunity to remind everybody that the band, The Wild Beasts, exists and is extremely filthy and could probably count as yacht rock. If you would like to listen to it, if you want to know what filthy yacht rock <laughs> sounds like, that's where my brain went. Um, I love it when Gansey's offered drugs and he's just like, what is happening? And he's just staring at this girl. Like, no, no, stare at her. Like, he's just so out of his depth. And I love that Ronan then immediately just, like, shoves it out of her hand. Yeah. Like, cool, great, good work. <laughs> Instead of saying no thank you and moving on, he's just, like, flicks it out of her hand and gets spat out for his trouble. Um, I want to talk about this line because it broke my heart. On page 408. Kavinsky says, here's the thing, Lynch. When I said with me or against me, I didn't mm. really think you'd pick against me. And I wonder if that is because he's he's recognized in Ronan that they can both do this thing. And he's a lot like he's made a mental map that like they're the same kind of person. Therefore, they should be together. They should be working together. They should be in the same group. 
And Ronan has gone, no, I've got all these other things. But that just really stuck out to me yeah. that Kavinsky didn't think that Ronan would say no to him. No, it's like we said last time, right? Like this parasocial relationship that Kavinsky mm. has with mm-hmm. Ronan, how he's constructed what he thinks Ronan is in his head. And to be fair, like Ronan has given him no reason not to think that. Yeah. Like the way that he engages with him, the only time he really engages with him is during the racing. So of course he's going to think that they have similar temperament, similar interests. Yeah. They can both do this dreaming thing. So he's constructed this world where naturally once they are united, Ronan will see that this is where he belongs. Yeah. Like, obviously. You're meant to be with me. But Ronan's like, actually, I contain multitudes. I am not just this one thing. There's more to life than sex and drugs and cars, he says. He says it so clearly. Like, there's more than just that. Like, it's not only this kind of relationship. This isn't the one thing. Kavinsky really wants to go like full Bonnie and Clyde on the world, I think. And Ronan's just like, no, I'm not interested in that. Yeah, Kavinsky just wants something to matter, I think. Like, and he thought that he thought that Ronan would like Ronan matters to him and he thought that would be enough, you know? Yeah. Ouch though, right? It just mm. it broke my heart that he was so plaintive here. And I thought it was actually quite courageous of him to say it so baldly. To just even admit, like, I really didn't think you would choose against me. It's like he's not wistful about it, but he's kind of confused by it. Like, I, I have to hurt you now because that's what happens. Like, if you hurt me, I have to hurt you back. But I really didn't think it would come to this. Like, he doesn't have any other way of doing things. Kavinsky doesn't. Um, and that's what really stood out to me. Mm. I feel like he was really clear with about that the entire way through. Like, mm. he was always saying to Ronan, these are the consequences of what would happen. And Ronan was just like, yeah, whatever, you're just saying things. Mm. Because I think Ronan, actually, in a way, even though he's all about truth, he often says things that he doesn't mean. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. He's... So Kavinsky actually is like, we're going to do the thing. Yeah. And that, and that way, you're absolutely right. Doesn't he say to Kavinsky, like, I will destroy you. And then when he's actually thinking mm. about it, he's like, I could kill him. And that would stop everything. And he's like, but I can't. It's not true. I couldn't kill him. Yeah. He has this moment where he really can't actually consider what it would be like to destroy Kavinsky. Different boundaries, different levels that they're willing to go to, right? Yeah, yeah definitely. Um, I think that takes courage, though, to it, to be willing to admit what you can't do, what your boundaries are, and for him to go, actually, I can't kill. Like, for all my bravado, for all the way that I carry on, I can't kill him. Adam would have been able to do it, though. Adam would have been able to do it. <laughs> I think so would I, quite frankly. Um, there's a great moment that I thought you would appreciate where on page 414 um ronan's in the dream space and he spots adam and he goes adam and then a little bit later adam looked up this adam looked up sharply he was himself and he was something else lynch what did kavinsky just dream and i'm like ah it's because ronan's there he's been honest with himself he's been vulnerable he knows what he's about now he's had that truth moment and adam is still just dealing with like okay i've got to do this task he hasn't had that internal oh it was just so good i was like the name thing the name thing so that's for you i saw that for you and i thought i would Flag yeah, I, I, I had that in my tangential as well because I just love that. I love that he's like he was some he was himself and he was something else. And also that Ronan isn't sure if he's a dream Adam because he's obviously dreamed Adam so many times previously mm-hmm. that he's like, is this a real Are Adam? You? Who knows? And then Adam's like, I am being practical. Yeah, so yeah. Like, come on. Yes, we're gonna do the thing. Um, also on page four seventeen, Adam, don't get struck by lightning, you walnut. On the other side of himself, Adam held up his hands, pointing at the sky. He was an alien version of himself, a dream version of himself. Lightning struck the stone beside him. Like a heart, the ley line jerked and spasmed to life. Cape's water was alive. I love that he points up to the sky as well. I'm like, how did you... Like, that is some very great premonition, Adam, for you to just be like... Also, previously, he was quite afraid of the lightning. So I think this is quite a courageous thing for him to just be like, I'm being practical. I'm getting it done. 
It's a battery. I personally am not afraid of lightning, but my mother is terrified of lightning, so I can appreciate the fear. I'm okay if I'm in the house, but if I'm outside, I am not I am not okay. I really don't want to get struck by lightning or be near lightning or have to hear thunder and not feel protected. My house is my little safe spot, so I'm with your mom on this one. It's terrible. No, thank you. My mom always got in the car. She thinks the car is the safest place to be in a lightning storm. Probably true. Oh god, I'm getting a metal roof put on my house in like two weeks. What am I doing? Uh, it'll be fine, right? It'll be fine. Australia barely ever gets any proper lightning storms. It'll be fine. We've had like three in the last week. <laughs> They're not real lightning storms. <laughs> the last time we had big lightning storms, they burned down like two thirds of the country. <laughs> that's more to do with dry grass than anything. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, I think that was it for my tangential. I mean, I, again, highlighted the whole chapter, but, you know, I just really wanted to talk about Yacht Rock and Kavinsky making me feel sad. Yeah, Kavinsky is quite sad. He's quite tragic. Mm. I never really sympathized with him previously, but reading it, like, the way we have and slowly and really digging into it, I kind of really feel for him. Yeah, he was really messed up and he never got the chance to, like, learn how to people correctly. Yeah, and, like, Ronan did him dirty, so... Yeah. I mean, it could have been a really beautiful opportunity for Ronan to be like, right, so this is how you actually have relationships with people, and this is how you have, like, friendships. Ronan was just like, eh, I've actually got all of that already, so, like, this isn't on me. YOLO! Which is fair, yeah. like, that's fair, but also... It is fair, but yeah. It's good to recognize that other people have these needs and maybe find a way to let them down gently. There's some nuance in there that I haven't really teased out yet, but it's worth further thinking, I, I reckon. We don't owe everyone everything, but we do owe everyone I think like basic respect kindness and like the willingness to state what you're willing to give you know what I mean like you have to be able to say what you're willing to give yeah I mean definitely a, a learning moment for Ronan I think because you know that he's very young oh yeah he's a teenager and empathy is expensive for teenagers yeah especially for him mm. like I get it you're learning how to pe like I can't talk I was horrible to people um especially people who like me oops YOLO Anyway, sorry people. I hope you never ever ever find me again because I did quite a lot of groundwork trying to lose you all. But should you ever stumble upon this podcast, I'm sorry. I really am. Apologies. It's a good thing to grow up and realize that there are people that you hurt when you were younger and you wish that you hadn't been a jerk to them. That is a good thing. I mean, as uncomfortable as it is, I hope that I never get to a point where I'm like, I've been kind to everybody. The end. Because it means that I've stopped growing and I am like my own worst nightmare at that point. So mm, having those yeah. cringe moments of like, oh, what was I thinking? Why did I say that? Why did I feel that way? Why did I make that person hurt in that way? That's good. It means that you're more in tune with the world around you. Like, it is good to cringe at your past self for doing the wrong thing because it means that you are learning what the right thing is as you grow up. And that's great. We should all be learning. Hmm. Good point. Hmm. Might be the only good point I have today. I'm very tired. <laughs> no. Um, did you have in-depth marginalia? I do have in-depth marginalia. So it is on page 410. It was when Ronan and Kavinsky is in the dream and they're having that first discussion and um, Ronan is questioning why. Yeah. Kavinsky is doing what he's doing and Kavinsky says there isn't anything else man there's reality Kavinsky laughed the word reality reality's what other people dreams for you reality's where other people are Ronan replied he stretched out his arms what's here Kay nothing no one so I think this relates to the themes mm. because it takes courage to admit that you need other people and that other people are important it takes courage to admit that actually this is what I want as well. This is what how I view the world. To state your beliefs so boldly, I think, is a courageous thing. 
But I think also it's connection because connections is what keeps us tethered to the world, which is what Ronan is saying in this moment, right? But I've chosen it because this reminds me of where Ronan is at in the Dreamer trilogy. Yeah. You know, there's that line, you are made of dreams and this world is not for you. Like Ronan in the Dreamer trilogy, spoilers for anyone who hasn't read it, you can skip ahead. (laughs) But he's isolated, he's lonely, he's essentially dying. He's been left alone at the barns and he just feels completely adrift. Yeah. You know, he's lost his connection to other people and his handle on other people. So I think our main theme reading this series is connection. And one of the main reasons we started this podcast was because of connection and because of community. You know, to not be alone and adrift in the sea of life and in the noise of life. We wanted a moment to be intentional about our connection to each other, but also about how we could be better people in community and how we could be better people in life as a whole. Like, because we need other people. Even someone who, as misanthropic and nihilistic as myself, knows that I need other people. They anchor us to what's important. Mm. They anchor us to the things that matter to us. They give weight to our own convictions and our own beliefs. Without other people, we fray as individuals. And I think this really struck me in this moment because Ronan knows this, but he loses this when he loses other people. And so I just want to remember going forward, don't leave other people behind. Even in the moments where you're struggling, even moments where you're in pain or you're feeling miserable or overwhelmed or tired. Remember those who love you and don't go it alone because you don't have to and then everything will be easier in that moment. I love that. Absolutely true. I love that we have this time for each other every week and I love the community that we've made with it. Yeah, it's so important. And, you know, that's something we intentionally wanted to do. That's what we were striving to do and it's important to remember that. This is a ritual that means so much to me so I'm glad we get to do it every week. Me too. Yay. Um... What was your in-depth marginalia? Okay, so I have two, but I'm going to link them up together. Mm-hmm. So the first one is on page 413, and it is where Persephone is talking Adam through what being a magician really means. Persephone's eyes mirrored the motionless water beside him. Your power, Adam, isn't about other people. It isn't about other things. Adam had never been powerful in his life. Being the magician isn't about being powerful when you have things and useless when you don't, Persephone said. The magician sees what is out there and finds connections. The magician can make anything magical. And then on page 426, a slight shift. This is after they've rescued Matthew. Ronan was suddenly unbearably glad to see Gansey and Blue joining them. For some reason, though he had arrived with them, he felt as if he had been alone for a very long time and now no longer was. So I've already spoken about the context a little bit is that Adam is trying to figure out what his place is and how he can actually help Ronan in this moment and his power is connection but I want to talk about the way that courage that Ronan displayed by being honest about who he was with Kavinsky kind of opens him up to being more receptive or maybe more aware of the connection he has mm. with Blue and Gansey it really does hit him in that moment I think that he has this depth of connection with Gansey and even with Blue that he didn't really understand like he he always thought he was more like Kavinsky but really I think after this he recognizes how much more like Gansey he is and that's something he maybe didn't think about himself mm. but he also doesn't hate himself too and he's had this this sort of revelation there and not hating yourself and being with your friends means you're not worried that they don't like you <laughs> you know what I mean mm. so I think there's something to that too like he he'd been holding himself apart just a little bit because he couldn't be who he was and that's okay sometimes you have to do that to protect yourself but that vulnerability enabled a deeper connection and I I really think that that is beautiful 
And I also just love that connections are Adam's power. That's what he is good at. That is what makes him the magician. That ability to connect is magical power. I I, want to think about this in terms of, in my life, I think being vulnerable is literally the worst and I hate it. I always super regret it when I am vulnerable with people. I am like, oh great, they think I am cringe and horrible and awful and they're never going to talk to me again. And this is so dumb because I don't think like this when anybody is vulnerable with me. I feel like treasured and honored to be part of their life and to help them if they need it. Like, I just can't let myself accept that other people are willing to take me the burden on. So I'm going to try and remember it doesn't actually hurt me and it will make relationships deeper and better. And it sucks and it is the worst, but it is important in order to have the depths of relationships. So going forward, I'm going to keep doing it. I'm going to keep making connections. I'm going to keep being brave and being vulnerable because even though you can't always make the connection you want, trying counts. Courage to open yourself up to connections is super important. And it's a reminder just even to myself to be generous like don't be too hard on myself for being awkward or weird I am what I am and the people that are going to respond to that and love me anyway are the people who are important but if they never see me for who I really am then I can't make that connection can I no and we need other people as just discussed and also you will find your people I know people don't like to hear this especially if you're feeling lonely but your people are actually out there 100% Well, it's important to remember that when you hear the phrase your people are out there you might think oh I need to find the people who like the same things that I like I have not found that to be the case. Like, I have a very diverse friend group who often I have actually nothing superficially in common with them, but, you know, these are my ride or dies. These are people Mm. that I would go to war for and who will have my back every day of the week, even though on paper we've got nothing in common. I just love, like, you and I in our music tastes. It's like a very slim Venn diagram with Bonnie Ver in the middle and, like, some Beyonce, and that's, like, the overlap. (laughs) You know what I mean? But we're so different, but we get along so well, and it's not because of what we like. It's because we exist in community with each other and like each other. Exactly, yeah. And I think we live in a a time in life where often we live in echo chambers Mm. and we are united with people who think and like the exact same things that we do. And you feel lonely in that because you feel like you should belong just from the sheer commonality that you have with people. But that's not actually what it means. Like, that's not what a community is. It's not just agreeing with people about the same TV shows or even politics. Like, I know that's quite controversial, but you can have connections with people who don't think the same way that you do. It's important to remember. And we kind of should. Yeah, that's how you keep learning and growing. It is hard. And look, honestly, protect yourself if you're in a situation where you might be really badly hurt. You don't have to make yourself Mm. open. But like, if you're able to, still connecting with people who have different political beliefs than you is actually really valuable because coming at it from a place of love is the way that you can actually get people to see your point of view and understand what you're getting at. If you just are angry and judgmental, it's never going to work. It's never going to work. People are not going to respond to you in that way. Yeah. Like, it sucks to have to be the bigger person but it super actually is the only way to change anyone's mind for the more generous I've found. Yeah, and obviously we're not saying go out and befriend your local neo No, you should still punch Nazis. This is, this is a, a spectrum, yeah. of course. It doesn't caveat, it doesn't include everyone, obviously. But if you've got a, you know, my personal bugbear are the libertarians who I really struggle with, but I've got a couple of them in my life and you sort of just have to persevere and hope that one day they will see the light. I have a t-shirt and a hoodie that says, I don't know how to explain to you that you should care about other people. And it's from the artist Blacksmith with all of the vowels taken out on Instagram. And his work is great, but especially that one. I just love it so much because that's just basically how I feel like politically. I'm like, who are the most vulnerable people? Protect them and then we can talk. I mean, I do sometimes use that as like an excuse when people are 
complaining about something, especially someone who's very right wing, I'd be like, well, why do you hate single mothers? And they're like, I don't hate the single mothers. I'm like, don't you? Yeah. Because explain to me how this policy is not just, yeah. you know. Why do they deserve to be punished? Why do their kids deserve to be punished? Yeah. If, yeah. if you put it in really bald terms, like, okay, so we take this away from these people who need it. What does that do? What does that serve? Now what? Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, no, great in-depth, good reminder. Yeah. That vulnerability sucks, but it is important because that is how we foster community, which we've established we need. Yep. Curses. (laughs) Dang it. (sighs) Who would you like to spotlight this week? I am spotlighting the grey man Mm. for doing something for himself, allowing himself to want, Mm. and also doing something that terrifies him as part of that. You know, what a courageous moment. Good for him standing up for what he needs on his own terms and seeing a way to make that happen and taking it. I just, I'm really proud of him and I'm glad that he's going to have this moment where he thinks he can have everything before he discovers that Mora has disappeared. Yeah. No, we're not allowed to be properly happy. We always have to have a sacrifice. That's fine. It's fine. (laughs) I love that he gets that and I love that you spotlight him because he's very special and near and dear to my heart. As soon as I get you watching The Expanse, I'm going to introduce you to Amos because he's very similar, like, (laughs) vibes. Murder casually, but very loyal to one person. I'm here for it. I love it. I love the murder blorbos. Um, Who would you like to spotlight? I'm going to spotlight Matthew. He was kidnapped. He was drugged, I think. He was in the boot of a car. He missed mass, which is a huge problem for him. But then he gets to go and hug his mom, and he gets to see that she's okay. And he believes Ronan when Ronan says he's gonna fix everything and that things are okay and Rodan works so hard to make sure that's true for Matthew and I just love him and I would like to just give a little shout out to him for having gone through it but still being like oh my brother came to get me I'm fine bless him bless him bless him somebody feed him and let him be ridiculous he deserves the world big golden retriever energy from Matthew (laughs) at all times um yes 100% accurate 100% 100% accurate. I have a golden retriever now, and I can tell you that is Matthew's personality to a T. <laughs> oh my goodness. Adorable. All right. Shall we wrap up the book? Yeah. All right. It's happened. We've read it. We have. Do you have any reflections on our overarching theme of connection for this text, Jen? I've already spoken about it a little bit, but I love this focus on connection between Ronan and Gansey and the brothers as brothers, this unbreakable bond. And how this is actually the bond he has with Declan as well, even though he can't admit it to himself yet. We've already seen Declan a little bit in this book go above and beyond. We've got that one chapter where he gets beaten up, you know, from the grey man's point of view. And he just holds the line to protect his family. We've got that revelation from the grey man that, you know, he had to beat up Niall Lynch to get Declan to spill the beans. And Declan just keeps it together. And, like, Rodan doesn't think that his brother cares about his family, but that's all Declan cares about. And he'll learn that. And I love that for them. I love that connection between the Lynch brothers. So good. Um, and I love the connection between Blue and Gansey that we've seen like blooming in this, and between Adam and Ronan. Like as you yeah. said, you know, it's quite a close read, but it's there. The foundations are there, and we can see it pulling tight already. And I just love it. I'm so excited to keep seeing how that develops over the next few books. Yes, me too. Did you have any thoughts on the the connections theme? Yeah. Um. So one of the things I really liked in this book was that we get a slight fracturing of the group and that Adam has removed himself a bit. He's separate. He's apart, but it is his power and connection that brings them all back together again. And it reminded me of, is it Kintsugi? The, you know, like a piece of pottery is broken and then you put gold in it to make it stronger. And it's also more beautiful. So we're sort of seeing this, like this happening with the gang. See also, you know, there's this, there's this concept in martial arts or whatever that you're sort of like 
breaking your bones, micro fissures, but that makes them stronger by repeated striking. So like they're being tempered, they're being forged into a stronger group of friends through these, these, these hardships that they're going through. Um, so I think the connection is, is developing. And I love that Adam has started to come back around to it. And I also wanted mm. to flag that, you know, getting Noah back is such a huge part of the background of this novel. Like we need to save the ley line so we have Noah back and, and, you know, we're doing all these things for each other. So Ronan is trying to get Matthew back and have Matthew be safe. And Gansey and Blue are searching the cars for Matthew, for Ronan. Like they're all doing this for each other, to save each other, to look out for each other. Adam is working so hard to get the energy back so that Ronan can use it. Mm. It's just really beautiful how much connection there is between them, even as they're apart doing different things. You know, Ronan's in one place, Adam's in another place, Blue and Gansey, but they're all together, but they're not. And then, yeah, Bluesy. Yeah. Oh my gosh, just the way that they finally, like, sidestep, but acknowledge in that roundabout way that they have feelings for each other just kills me. It just, I'm dead. I'm dead. I love any good frustrating <laughs> love story, and this is super efficient at frustrating me because there is a real reason they can't get together, and I love it. It's not just that there was a miscommunication or a mistext or something. It's like an actual reason. She will yeah. murder him with her lips, so love <laughs> their love already. Amazing. <sighs> uh, did you have a favorite marginalia from the whole book? I mean, I know it's hard to choose a favorite, but go on. Tell All me. All right. Okay. So I thought about this a lot, and it was a toss-up between two, but I picked this one because it really spoke to me. Um, and this happens after Adam has been angry at Blue, and Gansey and Blue have talked about this anger, and Gansey sort of talked to her about how we're wealthy in love, and can you imagine having grown up without that? So on page 372, Blue's thinking about Adam. And she thinks, if he had no one to wrap their arms around him when he was sad, could he be forgiven for letting his anger lead him? And I think I just want to be that generous with everyone. I want to be as loving and as giving as blue to sort of take a step back and be like, yes, that hurts. But why? Why is why is this happening? Why is he doing this? What are the factors that has caused this behavior? I feel like if I can get to that point, I'll be able to handle a lot of things better. So that was my favorite marginalia. It just really stuck out to me. Uh, did you have one from the whole book? I do. Mine's page 72, and it's the line that says, The thing was, Ronan knew what a face looked like just before it was about to shatter. Or to break, rather. He'd seen it in the mirror often enough. Adam had fracture lines all over him. I love this because mm. it comes over the back of Ronan doing something selfless. Like, he is going to... He's fixed the rent problem for Adam because he can see that Adam is at breaking point. And he is observant enough, like, he's watching Adam enough, he cares enough to, like, be able to do that. But it also acknowledges that weakness in him, this idea that he has struggled and he has felt yeah. the depths of that, like, Absolutely. struggle. And, I mean... Yeah, I just re it really, really speaks to me. I really relate to that feeling and this idea that, you know, you can see when other people are having a hard time and having had a hard time, it's easier to empathize, sure. Yeah. But also you can, if you can help people, you should. And I love that he, he does that. I love that too. Ronan is such a soft touch, really. Well, this is just another moment where you really see that. You know, he's got this really brash exterior, this really hard, like, unfriendly... Parents are pulling children out of his path, right, left, right and <laughs> yeah. centre. But actually... He is so soft, and I just love every moment of softness we get to see from him. Um, who do you want to spotlight for the whole book? So this is really hard for me, because my instinct is to spotlight Ronan, who I love more than anything in this world, as you know. And also, you know, he just goes through it. Like, yeah. there's so much going on in this book. Yeah. He's going on such a journey of self-discovery. This is his book. 
But what I'm actually going to do is spotlight Adam. Because he is beginning to answer some really hard questions about himself. And he is so, so tired. And he's trying so hard. And he's just struggling and he's really going through it. And it's a lot. And I just... I love these moments where he starts to lean into his self-discovery a little bit. Leans into this moment where he can actually see that, yeah, okay, I don't need this other thing to make me worthy. I can get there on my own. And I know that for Adam, it is an incredibly long journey, as it is for many of us. But I just, I really love that he's starting to get there. And this is a hard book. This is like some hard sections with Adam to read. But he's changing his story. He is breaking the generational cycle. And I am proud of him. Yeah. I love that. Who are you going to spotlight? I am also going to spotlight Adam for a lot of the reasons you you mentioned. But I also want to say that as somebody who feels deeply and also didn't always have the right cues and didn't have the right modeling as a kid, unlearning that is super hard work. And trying to do that and maintain friendships is nearly impossible. And it was something I struggled with for a really long time. And so every time Adam would alienate his friends and they would still be there. I just felt like there was something so beautiful in the fact that he would recognize that and then pull back from being too hurtful or too awful. Mm-hmm. Um, and Adam is hard for me because Adam and I are very similar in a lot of ways, or at least Adam and baby Jen mm-hmm. were very similar in a lot of ways. So it's partly because I think his character is fantastic and also because I want to remind myself that it's okay and I am lovable and I am worth the work because Adam is okay and is lovable and is worth the work. So yeah, Adam for me. He just needed all the hugs. He really, really did. And I think it's a hard thing. Like, we've both shared stories about how you can see yourself repeating cycles and repeating behaviours that you don't want to repeat. And he's really doing that here. And it's a hard thing to recognise that in yourself and go, Mm -hmm. actually, I'm not going to be that person. I'm not going to do this thing because I know how that made me feel. And he's on that journey. And I think it's such an important message to send because people think it's just the magical thing that just happens. And it's Hard work. Yeah. So to so see that in work. fiction, I think is so important. So yeah. Ah, uh, yes, absolutely. Well, that's that's it for season eight. Yeah, can you believe it? I can't actually. I can't believe we finished this book. I love it so much, and I'm so glad we went through it slowly and really tackled it theme by theme because I feel like I know it so much better now. Especially going into summer, it was like the perfect book to read as we go into summer. Yeah, so good. Mm. Hey. The energy, the tension, the moodiness. So good. We are going to read Steve Otter again, but that's not the next thing we're going to read. So we're going to tackle Wayward Son. Are you excited? I'm terrified. (laughs) You know that Wayward Son absolutely rips my heart out (laughs) on page four and then does not let go for the entire book. So I'm just going to have a meltdown every episode. And we're, but we're back to our theme of expectations. So I'm just setting the expectation for what you can all get when the season comes out. I'm really excited, oh. though, because if you cry, then it will give me a break from doing all the crying. Because I always cry in all of the podcasts. It's a miracle I didn't cry this time. But I knew they were going to get Matthew out. I knew he would be safe. And I knew the gray man would be okay. Yeah, it helps. It helps. Yeah. But with, I don't know, the Simon Snow series is just so many feelings. Like, there's no real, in a lot of ways, there's no real plot. It's just a lot of feelings. The feelings are the plot. Yes. I, it's about the characters. Like, the characters developing and growing is the plot. And that's, that's like, I am here for that. That's what life is. All these things that happen to us is second to us actually being, like, humans existing in the world and growing and changing. So, yes. Give me that. Mm. Well, that'll be interesting. So good. Can't wait. Can't wait. Can't wait. 
Well, I will see you soon. Can't wait to start reading with you. Excited. Thanks so much. As always, I love you. I love you too. <laughs> and thank you. This has been so much fun. And I'm glad we went through your favorite book. Your favorite in this series. Yay. It's just, it's been so great. Yeah. So I'll see you soon. See you soon. Bye. Bye. Thanks for joining us today. Marginalia Pod is written, edited, and produced by Jen D and Jen V, with additional editing and production support by Simon B. If you enjoyed our chat, you can subscribe to Marginalia Pod on your podcast platform of your choice. Your support means the world to us. We'd love to hear from you. You can email us at hello at marginaliapod.com. Our music is by Scott Buckley. For extended show notes or to find out more about us, visit us at www.marginaliapod.com.